Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for this, um, this Bible, this Word of God that you have blessed us with and to understand you better and to understand our relationship with you better. And um, even tonight as we continue to study Abram and um, his relationship with you as it continues to, to deepen and to develop trust between him and you and, and, and Father, under for him and for us to understand your promises and how that much that you loved him and how much that you love us, Lord. And just pray that you would open our eyes tonight, Father, that wherever that we're at within our walk, um, Lord, even if we don't have a walk with you, even this evening, if we don't know who you are, that God, that we wouldn't leave um, this building, this church, this property tonight without a relationship with you. And Father, that even while I'm talking, Lord, that you would be the one, the spirit that would be speaking to that person. And um, drawing them to you, Father, that they would know tonight is the night of salvation. Lord, if somebody is, has been walking with you and has walked away from you, God, tonight's the night for rededication of their life as well, too. And maybe for the rest of us, Lord, it's just an opportunity for us to continue to learn and to grow like Abram will do tonight, of learning that trust in you and being willing to ask questions and um, being willing to wait and to listen to you as well. And so, Father, be with all of us this evening, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 15. So again, a recap of, of where we were um, the last week of where we left off. Uh, we did half of the last half of chapter 12, did all of 13 and 14, moving into tonight of 15. So uh, the four events that we spoke about last week was Abram's experiences. He experienced a famine uh, in the land. And he headed down to Egypt. We talked about not knowing if that was a sin for him to go down there. Obviously, there was consequences that he came back with and experienced while he was down there. Uh, and for us in our own lives, we just, again, we talked about how, well, what does that mean in our own life? There are going to be times in our life that we have famine. There is times in our life, it doesn't have to just be financially. Um, it could be spiritually. It could be relationships. Uh, there's just a time in your life where you just kind of go through those, uh, those, those things that are going to happen. You know, Jesus even said it, look, in this world, you will have tribulations. I mean, there's just things that are going to happen to us in life. And it's a point of where are you at within your faith? And it's a testing at that point of, of what then am I going to do? You know, there's times, and I even ex said last week too, this, is, as a guy, probably I would jump out there and just kind of act. There's too many times I just act in life. And although my wife would probably say I'm, I don't act as quickly in certain things, but I probably drag my feet on other things. But there's just a time where you just want to kind of handle the problem. You just want to kind of fix it so that you can move on to the next thing and kind of get that out of the way. And, you know, you're just happy it's out. It's done. Well, well Abram does that. You know, he just packs up everybody and says, hey, the Nile's down there. There's no famine. Can't be famine down there. They got plenty of water. And he heads down there. And so we talked about that. The next thing we talked about was Abram tells a half lie, you know, a half truth, um, but it's still a lie. He mentions to, to Pharaoh, he actually tells Sarah, they're heading down there. He's like, hey, you know, we're, we're going down there and you're really, really attractive and they're going to notice that. And, and then he tells her, and it's the quote, which is just so self-righteous of him and, and self-seeking is, is, well, it, it, please tell them that you're my sister so that it will be well with me for your sake. How, one is, how is it going to be well for her sake? But to, to be well with me, really, it's going to be, I'm not going to die is what he's worried about at this moment. I've made a mistake. Now we're heading down to Egypt. I didn't think this through. And, and how many times, again, like I mentioned, that we just kind of act out and we're not thinking through the process here. We haven't allowed the Lord to speak into our lives. And we haven't allowed the Lord's counsel to come into our lives to kind of guide us through those decisions. 
You know, he promises never to leave us or forsake us, and he's, he's going to be there. If he promises my needs will be met that day, then, then maybe I should slow down on some of these things before I pack up everything that I have to head down to Egypt to, to maybe make sure that I know that I'm in the will of God. And then not to throw that back on, on in Sarah so that she's now in a situation where now she has to lie for her husband. She's trying to protect him as well too. And then there's utter chaos that happens when they get down to Egypt. And there's other chaos in our lives. Again, when we move away from what the will of the Lord wants from us, you just see the chaos. And you're like, how did I end up in this place? You know, my wife is now with another man doing, I don't know where she's at. I can't go get her. I, I'm stuck out here. And she's like, he sold me off. And, and there's, just, there's just division. There's no harmony. And, and what are we doing? How did we end up in this place? Well, then the Lord steps in and protects him and saves him and sends plagues upon Egypt. And, 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 and then again, we talked about just the conviction of how terrible it is when Pharaoh, the world, has to convict God's people and even in our own lives, when the world convicts us of our own moral integrity, you know, and that is just something that we should not allow to happen. Again, it's not, we're not worried about others, but what is your moral integrity? Can others look at you and just by the lifestyle that you live, you're screaming out that I live for Jesus Christ, that there's a, there's a moral compass that I'm not swaying from, I'm not moving from this. Again, you're not perfect, you're not living a sinless life, you wouldn't need Jesus if, if otherwise, but but we know that we are going to sin in our lives, but that I'm not choosing and purposing to do things that are evil or wrong, that I'm staying within where I need to be at. So Abram realizes all this chaos that had happened, and the third thing that he did is he heads back to the altar. He heads back to God. and says, man, I've just messed this up. But the one thing that I know is, again, I'm gonna go back to this altar where it started from, and I'm coming back to God. And I want God to speak into my life, and I'm gonna wait here, I'm gonna listen for him, and then the same thing happens in our life that, you know, there's moments in your life where you just know that the Lord was there and then he spoke to you and he helped you and he guided you through what you were doing. And it's those moments that you've got to get back to where your, your point is in your life or where is my God? And, and that's who I want to come back to. I'm not worried about the things, the famine, all this other stuff. I've, got, I've just got to get back to where I'm just listening to God. It can be as easy as, I just got to get back to, I'm just doing my devotions in the morning. And I'm just spending time, quiet time with the Lord. Not listening on your headphones while you're doing nine other things. Not, not trying to, to get many things accomplished while you're still listening to the Lord. But man, I, I'm really doing this. And it doesn't have to be every day. If you're like, hey, look, I just, I can, I can Lord, I can do this like every other day. I can, I can spend some quality time. Spend it. Start with something. Get into your word and, and, and be able to, to, to read him and have him read back to you and, and, and be able to speak to your heart that, that you know, his word doesn't come back void and that it speaks to the point of where you're at. It doesn't mean that he's going to answer your question. He's not, a, he's not a demand that he has to do that. But there's a peace that comes upon you. And you're just like, you know what, Lord, I, I know that there's the other things that are going on, but it's just so nice to have a deep breath in front of you, in front of your altar and to just be able to worship you and get things back in line in my life. And many times that, that's the true answer that we need to have. And then the rest of the, the riffraff of the world, the rest of the problems of the world, the rest of the stuff that's going on is, I, I'm, I'm here with you now. And I'm able to, to worship you and talk to you. And Abram, we see him as being a great warrior. He went out, he defeated a bunch of kings and actually ran them out of the town. And, and, and he chases them out of there and 
You know, there's a moment here where now we get to see the warrior of, of Abram, and we also get to see a little temptation that comes into him, too, because the king of Sodom comes out. You know, he didn't do any of the battles, but he's coming out, you know, praise the Lord. Man, that's just awesome what you just did. Thank you so much. And, but then the Lord sends Melchizedek to him. And it's a little intervention there to be able to, for him to then bless him and say, look, it was the Lord is the one who gave you this victory. Abram, the Lord used you to do this. The Lord is the one who is gonna accomplish your victory in your life. It's at that moment that Abram could have taken the spoils. King Sodom says, hey, look, just give me the people. Give me my people back. You can keep all the stuff. And Abram says, I will never take your stuff. You, you will not get credit for anything that I accomplish in my life. It's gonna be my God who does that. And in our life, the same thing has to happen, that there's gonna be temptations that come in, but it's, it's turning it back around to knowing that it's not, Kevin wasn't able to amass all this wealth. Kevin wasn't able to amass all these things in life. It, it, was, it was the Lord who's chosen to do whatever that has come in, into my life, and he's the one that will get the glory at that moment. And so that's where we, the, the recap of what the two and a half chapters we did last week and so as we move into Genesis chapter 15, um, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And after these things, well, what things? Well, we just talked about that. It's this great victory that he just had and, and, and that he accomplished defeating the five kings that had come into the land, and he kind of battles them back. And at that moment, there's, there's, a, there's just a nervousness that could be there. And the Lord speaks to Abram in a vision and says, do not be afraid, Abram, because I am your shield. You're exceedingly great reward. And this word fear here is defined, it's, it's an emotional foreboding. Again, you see big words like this. I can promise you I didn't write these down, so it's going to be much more simpler. But uh, emotional foreboding or dread of impending distress or misfortune. Abram could be fearful of the kings coming back down. I mean, they could regather at this moment and be able to say, you know what? We're going to really show that guy, Abram, something. You know, there could be a fear there. Like, I just did this, and yeah, I've got a great victory right now, but, but what if those kings decide that they want to come back after me? There, there could be some nervousness that's there. And, 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 and at this moment, Abram has taken this great victory, and he's nervous. And it's understandable. Even in our own lives, there's times where we, we have a great victory that happens, and, you know, so maybe it's a you know, you're, you're just that kind of way where you always look at the bad things that could possibly happen even after something good has happened. And, and, and you, you start thinking about the bad things that can happen. Oh, I, I just got this, but, you know, it's a brand new car, but, you know, the battery could still go on it. Those things kind of go at times. And, 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 and you start looking at the negative instead of the, the victory or the blessing that you just received. So Abram starts looking around, and he's, he's a little nervous at this point. Well, this, this word here is at the same time that God uses God uses the same wording with Isaac in Genesis 26, 24, and it says, And the Lord appeared to him that the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Again, we see this in the New Testament too. It's, it's, again, it's at, with Mary, it says in Luke 1, 30, it says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, there's so many times that we, we get caught up in the victories of, the, of what has happened and we start worrying about things. We start worrying about the negatives that could possibly happen. And, and 1 Peter 5, 7 says, it says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. 
Christian, don't allow those things to, to come into your life to where they start stealing the victory, start stealing the joy that the Lord has given you because God says, no, look, don't allow that to happen. He says, I'm your shield. I'm the one who's gonna protect you. God says, I'm your shield. You're exceedingly great reward. Your shield, again, if you go back to, to chapter 12, remember we talked about it, it was the five times that, that he says, I will. God tells Abram, I will do this. I will do this. It was five times. He says, Abram, you do think I'm gonna bring you to this point to where the enemy is now going to be able to, to stake a claim on victory in your life? Christian, do you think that you get to this point in your life where you think that the Lord is just gonna be like, you know what, that's it, I'm done with Kevin. You know, I'm just gonna move on from him. Well, no, not if I'm professing. I'm, I'm his son, and the Lord loves me. Now, again, I'm gonna go through tribulations in life, and that just draws me closer to him, but do you think that he's not going to be my shield and my protection? Mikhail's that it comes out and he tells Abram, God gave you the glory. He, 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 he won the victory for you. Abram, again, it's not nothing, anything that you did. I, I'm the one who provided the victory for you. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. Will your reward? Well, Abram had to make a hard decision. He said, you know, look, you, you didn't take the land. You allowed Lot to pick the land that he wanted to have. Okay, you did good there. You, you didn't take the bribe from king of this, uh, the king of Sodom. You didn't take those things. Why? Because, well, I, I want to be that reward in your life. Don't just look at the tangible things that I can gain within life and try to grab as much as I can like the pharaohs down in Egypt are doing. Abram, I, I, I want to be that reward. I, I want to be enough for you in your life that you look at me and just say, you know what? I've got God. I don't need anything else. The Lord wants to give me other things, and great, I'll, I'll, I'll take them, but they're going to come from the Lord, and they're not going to come from my own you know, mischievous ways or trying to twist things and make things happen. I'm going to be comfortable in the Lord, and I'm going to be comfortable with what he decides to give me for that day. Why? Because again, Matthew 6 says, talks about that he will give me the needs and the things that I need to have that day to be able to get through it. God says, it's me. I'm your reward. Kent Hughes wrote it this way. He says, all Abram got for his labors was God. That's all. God was teaching Abram to be satisfied with him alone. This demonstrates, of course, what God desires to give us as we submit to the dis disciplines of a life of faith. He teaches us to be satisfied with him as enough, our all in all. It's just important to get to that point in life, Christian, where you're just, again, it's not wrong. It's not a sin to have things. At this moment, Abram is, is, is pretty wealthy. And just alone from the things that he's gotten from Pharaoh in Egypt, but for at this time, for it talked about in the last chapters too, that he has gold and silver. For them to have gold and silver at that time, you, you were really, really well off at this moment. So Abraham, it's not a point of, of not having nice things, but when Melchizedek comes to him and he just ties 10% of what he has to him, you can tell that the heart behind the man is like, and I'm not worried about this stuff. I'm worried about my relationship with God. And God says, look, don't, don't worry about those things. Two weeks ago, we talked about a covenant and back in chapter 12, and tonight we're going to come back to that a little bit. A covenant, again, just as a reminder, is a betweenness. It's an agreement between two people or two groups that involves a promise on the part of each other. And as a human covenant, we would understand that as like a treaty or something like that. And it's between either two equals 
or are superior and not, and not equal at that point. But a divine covenant is always between a superior and an inferior. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, too, that that makes sense. I mean, again, what could I give God in trade for anything that he was going to give me? I mean, the Lord has just the abundance of everything that he has. I mean, there's nothing that the Lord needs back from me. Wayne Grudem, in his book, um, The Systematic Theology, says, the essential element at the heart of all of them, talking about covenants with the Lord, is the promise, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so what he's saying is in Jeremiah 31, 33, when he says that is, is God's heart behind this, behind the covenants with his people, with us, is that, that we would understand that I will be their God, that he is our God, and that we are his people. To understand, again, that the, the divine ability and the superiority that he has, but man, we are just so happy to be underneath that protection. We're so happy that the Lord looks upon us and wants to make a treaty, wants to make a covenant with us. So back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses one through three, and I'll read it real quick for you. It says, and now the Lord, this is again the first time he's speaking to Abram. He, 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 again, Abram's been sending a, spending a whole lifetime trying to worship other things and, and idols because there's a desire in his heart to worship something. And so finally God comes on the, the, the scene and says, now the Lord said, said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house and to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. And I said two weeks ago that it was the introduction to what the covenant that was going to come, and that's the covenant that we're going to talk about tonight. So here we are now, and, and Abram is sitting there thinking, and he's like, you know, so it's going over in his mind, and he's like, you know, Kevin talked about this a couple weeks, and it's just kind of on my mind, and he, he moves into in touch, uh, verse 2 here, and he says, but Abram said to the Lord, he says, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, and then Abram said, look, you, you've given me no offspring, and, and indeed one born in my house is going to be my heir. And so he sits there and he's, it, this is not a challenging question. He's not mad at the Lord. He's not, this isn't in that, that tone of voice that he's coming back to God with that, but he's, he's saying, look, you know, I, I, I'm just letting you know, you know, a couple chapters ago, we kind of talked about this and, and, and we talked about it again in Genesis 13, that these are the promises that you're making to me, that you're, you're going to give me a land, you're going to give me a, a, a people and, and things like that, but, but that's great, but I, w when are we going to start this process? You know, I'm not getting any younger. My, my wife's not getting any younger. And, and quite honestly, if I keep making mistakes like down in Egypt, it's not going to happen anyways because she doesn't want anything to do with me. But he says, look, what, what's going to happen here? Well, see, it's important to remember, too, is, is an heir, you guys understand what heirs are, is, is that it's one who receives the property of a deceased person and typically a, a family member. And during this time, it would be one of your sons or, or your son. This used to always come up in our household because our oldest son, Jonathan, would always bring this up, like, hey, I'm just letting you know I'm the oldest son, so I'm getting most of it, you know? And Josh is like, what? What's happening here, you know? And I'm like, first of all, Josh, we're not dying, so stop. Just don't worry about that. Jonathan, please stop bringing this up. But, but so that's just happened at the time, you know, that the oldest one would get the majority of it, and it's passed down to the heir, and, and that's how it would happen. And during this time, if a man had died and did not have an heir, 
didn't have a, a, a blood son or something like that to pass it to, it, it would pass to his chief steward. Um, that, that would be his heir as a substitute. I mean, guys, you've seen Ben-Hur or anything like that. And back at that time, too, even in Ben-Hur's day, greatest movie of all time, by the way, has been heard. The original, not the new one that they came out a couple of years ago, it was terrible. But anyway, so the original one, you got to sit three and a half hours. You have to do it. Okay, you got to watch the whole thing. So Ben-Hur, he gets, he gets, he saves the, the Roman guy's life, and then he adopts him, and then he becomes an heir in his family and things like that. And so even though he wasn't blood, that's how it was going to be passed down. And Abraham says, look, I, I don't have a bloodline to pass it to. And so you're making a promise that it's going to go, I'm going to have all these descendants. Well, they're not going to be my descendants. They're going to be his descendants. And that's, that's going to mess things up here. And I'm just, I'm just concerned about this. You know, again, Sarah's not getting any younger, and, and I don't know what to do here. And so we move into verse 4 here. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, talking about um, Eliezer. He says, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And they brought him outside and he said, look, now toward heaven and count the stars and if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it as to him as righteousness. And then again, the Lord came to him. And I think it's just as I was reading this the other night, it was just sweet to be able to see the interaction that God is having with Abram. Like we get to read that in scripture. Like we get to read the fact that he was having a conversation with Abram and that we're actually part of that. I mean, to me, I was always thought about, it'd be really cool to be around, you know, when Jesus was the disciples and, you know, we've got all the gospels to read that, but to be there at nighttime when they were just being guys and they're sitting around the fire and to be like, if that was written down, that would be really incredible to be able to be part of that conversation and just the things that guys say at nighttime and, and just making fun of Peter and things like that. But it's just really sweet to be able to have this part of conversation that we get to read and see our God talking. And God reassures Abram and Eliezer that Eliezer won't be his heir. And then he takes him outside and says, hey, come, let's go field trip. Let's go outside, and I want you to see something. I want you to look up into the heavens, and, and can you count these stars? And obviously he can't. You know, I, I Googled it. I went on Google, and so it has to be true, but... It says, everything's true on the internet. Um, it says, in our universe that they estimate that we have, listen to this number, 200 billion trillion stars. 200 billion trillion stars. Not 200 billion, not 200 trillion, but 200 billion trillion stars. Astronomers estimate that there are 6,000 stars per grain of sand on our planet. 6,000 stars. So the grain is of the sand. Like, you can't even count those. And there's 6,000 stars per grain of sand. Is that amazing? So when you hear that, obviously, it's not a point where he's sitting there going, look, it's, that's how many people that you're going to have in your, your family. It's not that. But it's a point that there's so many that you can't count. That's going to be your offspring. That's your descendants that I'm talking about. And again, that's the, how big our God is. And for those of you in, this, in the room that, that missed the creation part of it, of, of this back in, I guess at this point it would be back in November, um, but, or the beginning either, I actually think it was the beginning year or somewhere. Anyways, back when Mike talked, the smart guy, not me. And so when he talked about it, it was a point of, again, I, for me as a Christian, I don't have a problem with saying that God created all things. I don't think that we as Christians have to shy away from those conversations. I have a big God. 
And I have a big God that can speak things into existence. And I have a big God that can decide if he wants something, you know, 100 million light years away from us, that he could place it there. And that I could still see the light today, that I didn't have to wait all that time for to come here. I don't shy away from things like that because if I could explain that, then yeah, he wouldn't be God. And so I understand some people's minds, they can't wrap around that and they're trying to figure it out and you can't. At some point, you have to have faith in something. And right now, the same thing is happening to Abram is that he, he has to have faith to believe in a God that's talking to him and am I really gonna believe what he says? What's incredible about the stars too is it says in, in Psalm 147.4, it says that God calls the stars, he calls them by name. He just sits there and just names them. I mean, that's, a, that's just, I don't know how it comes up with that many names, but it's just amazing that he can come up with the names, much less create everything to happen. And that God that big is the God that speaks of you intimately and talks to you intimately in your life. That yes, when you're going through a hard time and then you cry out to God, as Peter did on the walking on the water, he says, Lord, save me. And the Bible doesn't say that Jesus waited a little while he pondered, he gave him a four-point lecture of why you shouldn't have been walking in the water or shouldn't be looking at the waves and things like that. The Bible says immediately he reached down and grabbed him. Immediately the Lord will work within your life. Again, not the answer, but the communion that you will have with a God that loves you intimately as much as he's able to name those stars in the sky. And it says Abram believed God. Wait till Siri's done. W.H. Griffin observes and says, and the original Hebrew for, for believed comes from the root where we derive our word amen. Amen, when you say it, it, it's, it's, it is so. When you're saying amen, you're saying it, it's so. I, I believe the Lord. The Lord's going to, to hear my prayer. That there is no doubt that you have ultimate confidence in the fact that one, God heard you, and then God will then act upon something. There are not works that Abram has, has to perform here. There's nothing that Abram has done in his life to, to earn this. But his faith is increasing in his relationship with his God. It's increasing in a relationship with the Lord who has who's now worked with him for the last four chapters to be able to say, look, I've called you out of Ur and I've brought you down. You and your family and you've trusted me. I've, I've moved you back out of Egypt when you made a mistake. I've protected you there. I've helped you defeat kings. And I continue to tell you, I have a promise for you that I'm going to do. That these are the things that I promise in your life. And Abram's belief didn't start there. Obviously, it started back in Ur when he left in chapter 12, that he was able to hear a God who just spoke to him, and he was able to then just take a step of faith and walk out. The same step that many of you took as well, too, that you, you heard the word, you knew that the Lord was calling you, he had he impressed upon your heart, he impressed upon you to make a decision that, you know what, God, you are real, and I want Jesus to be my Savior. And you heard that, and it was a, it was a, it was a step of faith. It's not a tangible point where you, God was standing there and he was bringing you forward. It's a point of, I believe the word of God, I believe what you're saying right now, and just like Abram, you were willing to go. God, wherever is that you want me to go? God is there and God is with us. Verse seven, he moves on, he says, and then he said to him, God speaking, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will... Brings up a point. 
He says, I, I am the Lord who brought you out. And Ken Hughes brings up a point here. It's the same phrase that he used uh, in Exodus 20, verse 2, when God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And that these are two of the most formative moments in the Jewish history. Is he's having a relationship with Abram that he's, he's, he's forming his descendants of where it's going to come from. And then, then at that same point that in, in Exodus 20, that he's talking to Moses and he's giving him the Ten Commandments at that point. Two of the most formative times with a relationship, but he's, he's letting them know that I'm the one who's brought you out. God says, I'm promising you a land and I'm promising you offspring. The word inherit here is in some of your versions probably has possess. It's a point of that you're going to inherit, but you also have to possess it. You have to take it. And even sometimes when, when you have God working in your life, it's just not a point where he just is going to give it to you, that there's still work that has to be done. I mean, there's still life that we have to live, and there's, I got to get up and go to work tomorrow morning, and I got to, you know, I got to go and clean or mow my yard at some point. I mean, there's, there's things in life that you have to do that you have to work, and I got to teach tonight. Well, it doesn't mean that I'm just going to walk up here, and it could. The Holy Spirit would just come in me, and hopefully the Holy Spirit's in me right now doing this as well, too. But, but I have to still put in the time and the work to be prepared for tonight. So when you study this much, but you teach on this much, but you have to do the work to be able to then come up here. Past doesn't just walk up here and say, well, you've never played the guitar before, but, you know, no, he's practiced and he's studying and he understands what he's doing. Why? Because it's still a gift and there's a still promise that the Lord is going to work in his life and hopefully the Lord is working in my life, and, but there's still work to be done. I mean, it can be a, a thing that you're going to inherit, that you're going to possess, but Christian, are you willing to do the work to be able to go through it and to get to that point where the Lord is working in you? Joshua 14, one of my favorite people in the Bible is Caleb. And so the Egypt has come through the wilderness. They've taken the land. And this guy is just awesome. He's like 85 at this point. You know, he's gone through all the wilderness. He didn't want to have to go through the wilderness, but it was because everybody else and just he and Josh were like the only ones that were, were willing to take the land the first time. And so God says, look, you two will make it through. The rest of the generation isn't going to. So finally they're there. And you think he's 85 and he's had to put up all of these years within the wilderness and, and he sits there and he looks at him and says, look, where's the land that I can take? He's ready to go to battle. And look, the Lord's promised me this land, but man, I, I'm ready to go take it. I'm ready for the Lord. Where's my family at? We're going to go take Joshua, where's my land? Where is it? Name it off for me so that I can go and do it. Again, just because the Lord has promised doesn't mean that there's not work to be done. Again, two weeks ago, Go. Go. What has the Lord called you to do in your life? Go. Go inherit that land. Go possess the land that God has given you. And again, it's not a, a claim it type thing where you're, I'm telling you that part. I'm telling you to go serve the Lord wherever that he has called you to do that. If it's at work tomorrow, then go. Go in there tomorrow morning. You've done your devotion and you're like, man, I can't wait to speak to somebody about Jesus today. I mean, it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait to go to Target today and just some, bless some people as they, I'm gonna help them with their card. I'm gonna open a couple doors for people. I'm gonna reach up at the top and hand stuff to people that are shorter than me. And I get that all the time. Like, hey, sir, can you get that? Go. Go serve Jesus wherever that you're asked. Possess the land that he's offered you and just go do it. The Lord is good. Mark 9, 24, it says, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
Maybe that's some of you this evening as well. It's like, man, I, I believe in the Lord and I, I want to go do those things, but God, I, I just need your help where I'm at right now. I, I, I need, I believe you. I believe in God. Man, I, Lord, I just need you to come along and to help my unbelief. Again, just as I prayed earlier, if that's you this evening, then, then come down. Let's, let's pray with you. Let's, let's see what's going on in your life and let's, let's help start directing you to that place to where you can then be that person that is then going and doing what God's called you to do in your life. Don't allow the unbelief of, of the world or your nervousness or your flesh or your fear of, of whatever the unknown is to hold you back from doing, again, what God has called you to do. So here it comes. The moment you guys have been waiting for. It's covenant time. Verse nine, it says, so he said to him, bring me a, heifer, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and he cut them in two down the middle and placed, I'm glad I read this after dinner, and he placed each of the opposite of each other. But he did not cut the birds in two, probably because they were too small. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And this would have been a known custom for Abram at the time from his time back in Mesopotamia is that they would do the same thing, that when they were going to make a, an agreement with somebody, they would, at that time, probably it had in the dictionary was talking about that they would probably divide a donkey at that point, and they would take one part of the donkey on this side, and then they would put the donkey on this side over here. And then what they would do as, as a covenant between the two of them is they would walk through the parts of that, okay? Sounds a little gross, okay, but... Um, Today, we just sign contracts. It's a little bit easier. So, but that was what they would do. And so what basically what you're saying is that as I walk through this, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, then a curse is to come upon me. A curse. Because I, I made a, a statement before everybody that, hey, this is what we're going to do. And if not, then a curse comes upon me. I, I note also that you see here is that, there's, uh, that both of the people would walk through that. It wouldn't just be one person. It's both people within the human covenant that's there. And so God asked Abram to do the same thing. So, but, but here in verse 9, he says, he goes, in verse 9, he says, hey, bring me a, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And you'll see that these five animals would later be part of what the Mosaic covenant would be as far as sacrifices and things that, that God was going to call for Israel to do. Also notice here that there's no fires, there's no barbecue, there's nothing that's happening here with what God has called Abram to set up for us this evening. At this point, then the vultures come in and different commentaries had different ideas of what the, the vultures could mean and it could mean different attacks from the enemy and things like that. Uh, for me personally, I just, I think it's just the vultures, it's all a bunch of dead animals that are out there and they probably just wanted to come and, and probably take part of it. It moves on in verse 12 here, it says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. And when he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will be, afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
But great fear comes upon Abram here. And the, the great fear could be either the presence that he's about to see in verse 17 with the Lord that's coming up, that's going to be coming here in a second. It could also be the, the fact that the prophecy of his future generations are going to be stuck down in, in Egypt for 400 years. He doesn't know it's Egypt. We know it's Egypt because we've seen that later on in the Bible. So it's a point where he's looking at this and going, wow, is this really going to happen? And this fear comes upon him and he's, he's nervous of what's happening here. And he looks at this and he's like, again, what's happening? What's going on? But God makes it clear of who is in charge at this moment. He says, I'll give it to your descendants. I'm making that promise. And, and yes, they're gonna go and suffer in Egypt. And they'll come back when the inequity of the Amorites is done. See, I'm still working on them, and so therefore I'm gonna send your people out of that area for them to come back, because at that moment, that's when I'm gonna judge those that are still here. And they're bad people, and they deserve the judgment that they receive. Another cool thing here is that, he, again, as I've mentioned in the past, is that Abram never has anything that's built, except for altars. And there's a point also where Abram doesn't really get to receive the blessing that he's been promised here as well, too. He says, look, you're gonna live to a ripe old age, and then you're just gonna pass to be with your fathers. And again, for me then, too, as I look at it, it was just, I think it's a, maybe it's a culture thing that we live here is that I get so nervous about the things that I have now and what can I do immediately for my children, but am I willing to then push that off and to be thinking about future generations that are gonna come? Future Sullivans or future whatever names they end up being with my daughter and stuff like that, but am I, am I willing to be thinking forward as far as future generations within my own line? And this is a divine covenant, and God performs the one-sided covenant here in verse 17, and it says, and it comes to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And it's the Lord. He comes between those, and he doesn't allow Abram to be the one that does that. He doesn't allow him to be able to walk between it. It's the Lord that walks between that and says, look, this is the covenant that I'm making with you. It's one-sided. In fact, I'm not even gonna allow you to do it. Why? Because I'm the one that's gonna pass through it. And then everything that I said, I'm telling you, I will, I will, I will. I will be the one that takes care of you. I will be your shield. I will be the one that provides for you. I will be the God of your life. It's only me that you need. I will. Verse 18, it moves on, it says, and on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. And from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenzanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And God announces his covenant with Abram and his future descendants. And so it's a point in your life that we all have a covenant that we live under as well today. I don't know if you guys know that. God gave Moses the old covenant. The old covenant was a, that God established the people that he chose. And he chose the Israelites. Okay, again, that that's the nation. This is the, the people that I'm going to work through. And he said, follow me and, I, and I'll bless you. Israelite nation, again, if you follow me, you, you stay about what I've asked you to do, I, I will bless you and I will protect you. If you rebel against me, with that, I'm, I'm gonna discipline you. And unfortunately, you see that through most of the Old Testament that you see the rebellion that happens and then the discipline that happens again with the Lord. 
And we see the fact that, in, that he creates the law. He creates the Ten Commandments. You know how important the Ten Commandments are? Again, so if God considers something sin, but we don't know that it is sin, then it's hard for us to understand what's right and wrong. So he actually gives them the Ten Commandments and says, look, this is the law that I want you to live by. This is actually a good thing that the God gives us the Ten Commandments so that we understand, again, what sin is. And he created the law of sacrifice. And the law of sacrifice, if you've heard me talk before too, it again, it's, it's the, the fact that what they would do is they would take these animals and they would allow the blood to then be able, it's gonna cover your sin. It doesn't wash it away. It just allows, again, if I have sin in my life and I'm a sinful person, then I can't talk to a pure and holy God. It, it just doesn't happen that way. I was like, I will just, I, I can't be around it. I just would have to do, either not be with you, talk to you, or I would just have to completely annihilate you so I can't be around it. I'm too pure to be around that. And so what would happen is they would take these animals and then they would, they would cut them within the ritual and then the blood would then cover their sin so that at least you could have some kind of interaction with God. But through Jesus, we have a new covenant, a much better covenant. And Paul says in Romans, it says that salvation was also available to the Gentiles. You, you know you're a Gentile, right? Or most of you are. I mean, it's so important for us to be able to realize that we are part of this, that we've now been included inside the covenant, that through Christ that we have that opportunity. And Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice for us. It's no longer that we have a, an animal that is just going to cover our sin. We have Christ who is the ultimate sacrifice because he lived a sinless life. And the blood of that sinless life of Jesus is able to completely wash away our sin not cover it so it's still there and we have to continue to worry about it as far as the east is to the west. Our sin is completely washed away and that then we have ultimate access to God, the God. The veil has been torn. We're able to come into his kingdom. Tonight when we had worship, if you're able to sit there and pray, you're actually able to talk to and pray to your God. In John 14, Jesus promises an advocate. It's the Holy Spirit to live within us. He says, it's good that actually that I go because then I can send you somebody to be with you. And the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he's able to convict you when things are going, that you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And if you're not saved, he's able to woo you and bring you towards the Lord. And if you, if you are saved, he's able to be able to be that counselor to continue to work within your life and to give you the knowledge that you need to have and, and to be able to bring you into a closer relationship with God. That's the new covenant. And as I talked about in my prayer before, is that, again, if you're not under that new covenant, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, I, I pray tonight is the night. Don't, don't, don't allow another opportunity to go. Don't allow an opportunity to be able to go home tonight because, again, tomorrow is not promised. Tonight is not promised. Come know Jesus tonight. Come up front. We'll pray with you. We'll talk to you. We'll give you some information. That I've had. If you've walked away from the Lord, again, don't allow this to be the opportunity that you walk away again. The Holy Spirit is the one that's convicting you. Come to know him. You're walking underneath this new covenant. Just like Abram, have your relationship with the Lord and go. Be obedient to what he's called you to. Be willing to walk out and step out in faith and do what God's called you to do. Amen. Father God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you again for just the privilege of speaking your word, studying your word, being able to read your word. Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to work in each of our lives to bring us to a place where we have more trust in you. 
bring us to a place where we have a desire to know you more. Help us to fall in love with your word. Help us to fall in love with worship, Lord, because you alone are worthy of our worship. And we ask this in your name, amen.